Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I don't believe anybody who says buy and hold everything. I just don't think they've bought enough properties. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyron Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with property investor and buyer's agent Andrew Allen. With a start on a cattle and sheep farm in Queensland, he has since invested in various properties and increased their value exponentially. Learn about how he took advantage of the property boom in 2003 and much, much more. Alan is a property investor who also runs a buyer's agency. His average days are quite flexible and generally involves tasks such as desk based work and speaking to investors and home buyers. We buy property in Brisbane, mainly for investors, but investors and homeowners. And I'm the director of that business, and, and that business has been operating for it's about just over 10 years at the moment. We started in, in 2009. And that's one of the reasons I started with a buyer's agency instead of starting with property sales and uh, one of the reasons I love property investing is that I have a lot of flexibility over my time and and some sometimes that changes like like Saturdays can be can be busy if you're looking at property but basically I have a family with uh, two young children and and every day uh, a lot of the scheduling gets gets uh, scheduled around the, the the children and I have the privilege to be able to to um, take them both to school and collect them in the afternoon, and so uh, that that um, takes care of the, the start and the end of the day. Uh, a lot of the the work related activities are talking with investors and and home buyers and researching property. And there's there's, there's a lot of reading and looking online that that goes into just surveying the market, working out what what's happening with trends and whether whether the areas we're buying in is still the best value. So. There's a lot of desk base looking at a computer screen work and also we, we do property management and one thing about property management is, is every day is definitely different and there's always challenges. So that, that's another area that, that throws up tasks that just uh, tend to take up a fair bit of time. When Alan first started out, he believed the ideal business size was one person. However, this changed as time went on. He tells us also a bit about the general ratio when it comes to securing properties and the kind of work he does more often these days. When I started the buyer's agency, Tyrone, it used to be myself and I, I no longer think that's the ideal business size. You can have such a thing as a business that's, that's too, too big, but you can also be too small in my opinion. And, and when it was just myself, I was doing everything and that, that would involve a lot of inspections and you'd be doing inspections during the week and, and very busy on Saturdays. Sundays tends to be not, not a lot happening with, with property in, in Queensland or, or Brisbane unless you're in, involved in a negotiation. But 
the the very general ratio is for for a hundred properties. If if you research, if we checklist a hundred properties, I'd look at a hundred properties, look at the details. I'd find approximately ten of those properties that that might be worth an inspection. And of those ten properties that um, I'd be inspecting, two might might be worth an offer. Would generally be worth an offer. And of those two, you'd offer on, you'd secure approximately one. And that was how the the numbers worked with with looking at property and inspecting properties. And any week you'd be doing a lot of inspections. And for the for the past five years, however, I've been in charge of a smaller team. Oh, there's three of us. And Amanda and Micah are the buyers agents who do the the day to day inspecting. And that means I, I don't do as many inspections as I used to. If if there's a clash or scheduling problem with Saturdays, I'm, I might do an inspection of a property. But generally, I'm I'm doing more desk based work these days. So I don't inspect as many properties as I, as I once did. Alan grew up in Western Queensland and went to the local state school there for a while until he moved. I grew up in Western Queensland in a, in a small town called Dirranbandi and the population of that town was about a thousand people. Today to be perhaps 500 and I, I grew up on a, a sheep and cattle station and that was quite a normal size station, about 30,000 acres. Today it's, it's, a, it's quite, a, quite a bit bigger. And I went to school at the local state school until I went to boarding school in Brisbane and pretty much I've been a Brisbane-based Brisbane person with a 10-year excursion to the Gold Coast and also living overseas on and off for the early 2000s. But basically grew up in Queensland and grew up on a farm. My dad was a grazier, and but Queensland-based pretty much all my life. During Alan's childhood, the cattle and sheep station mainly held sheep and it gives us some background history on how graziers and how things were different back in that time. Nowadays, it's uh, there's a lot more difference in, in what people are doing. They have to be more, more flexible. But basically, I grew up in the 1970s and, and Australia had still remembered the, the great wool boom of the, the post-war eras and uh, many graziers, they, they sort of, I guess, never out, outgrew that that mindset, but uh, growing up on the farm is definitely different. I, I, I look at what I allow my kids to do today and look at what I was doing at the same age and it's really day and night. For example, when I was when I was eight, eight to 10 years of, of age, it was normal to have your own car and uh, you'd be driving it on, on the main road, which wasn't very busy as well. He goes on to tell us a bit more about what it was like to grow up as a country kid in those times. You basically were, were best friends with the local local policeman, so it was very flexible. Um, lots of experiences that are different, and the times were different as well in terms of connectivity. I mean, we, we didn't have the internet, and even my, my telephones definitely. But my, my first telephone number was seven. Uh, there, there, there just weren't many many telephones, and the telephone was a party line in terms of you could pick up the phone and listen to someone else's conversation. My, my nearest neighbour was perhaps 30 minutes driveway. So you, you had the freedom to, to explore and uh, grow up as a country kid. But uh, yeah, it was also a bit lonely sometimes as well. The cattle and sheep station Alan grew up on was about 12 kilometres from a centre town, which meant that grocery shopping, getting mail and even going to school, especially during floods, was a different process than it is today. 
used to go in and do the perhaps a weekly grossing, grocery shopping run and uh, the mail would be delivered once a week on, on the train and every day there'd be a, a bus that would come and collect the, the kids from the, the, the stations, bring them into town for, for school. And if it was raining, because if, if, often, often there's droughts and flooding rains in, in the country, and you'd be cut off for could be days, days or longer at a time. But um, we also had a, when my sisters were growing up, we had a, a light plane and uh, we could actually fly into town, which uh, wasn't a great thing if you were, you were missing school, but your, your dad could fly you into town over the floodwaters. Yeah, quite, quite, a, quite a big station. 30,000 acres isn't actually, isn't actually large for a station, but it's big enough that you can go missing for, for a day or two if you're driving in the car, and so you have to be careful. Alan goes on to tell us a little bit more about what it was like for him to go to boarding school to make the transition from the farm onto the city. Went to school locally till, till grade five, and then I was, went to boarding school in Brisbane because basically the, the, the schooling options perhaps weren't, weren't great uh, as, you, as you got older. And just that that's what the country kids did. They, they were sent to boarding school either in Toowoomba or, or Brisbane or the Gold Coast. And it's, it's still the case today. And, uh, and, and from, from that point, I've basically been a city person and uh, I've spent my whole life in Brisbane. After leaving high school, Alan pursued a rather unique passion of his that coincided with his growing interest in property. After high school, I, I finished school in Brisbane and my interest in, in property basically began not not too long after then but I had a had a passion at the time and that that passion was actually something you might find a little bit different and that that was playing chess and I actually played chess at a standard that, that was quite decent and ended up pursuing that as a, a full-on passion tried to make it a career for for many years and ended up getting into coaching or, or training students how to play chess and, and that was a business that I operated in, in Brisbane and the Gold Coast after after leaving university and yeah, so that, that was a little bit different and that, that lasted for about 10 years. Chess led him to tournaments in different countries and after some travelling, Alan needed a way to earn his livelihood. I think there, there are crossovers into to business and investing but but uh, not, not, not so much perhaps. It's, it's uh, another activity where probably being an Australian was uh, not a good choice because just like uh, I was sort of a long way from anywhere being on a, the station, being an Australian with chess at, at the time was a significant handicap because we didn't have the, the internet when I was playing mostly and all of the good tournaments and good players were basically outside of Australia and, and in, in Europe. And the good part of that was I got to travel a lot and see, see quite a bit of the world. In including places such as Argentina. I played a World Junior Championship in uh, 1992 in, in Argentina, which uh, happened to be my first overseas trip as well, and, and got to see a number of countries as I was travelling, playing in chess tournaments, made a lot of friends with people from different parts of the world. And after that, I had to, to work out how to, to make money out of my what was my passion. And uh, like, like a lot of people, I turned my passion into a job, which was a terrible idea. Chess is, is probably not a, not a very good career or, or a job, but it's, it's a fantastic activity for children. And there, there's a lot of buy-in in, in Australia and Australian schools for teaching chess to students in the curriculum or just as a voluntary activity. And it's a wonderful idea because it doesn't cost much to, 
to get involved. And, and it is great for kids. It's teaching them competition and strategic thinking and take responsibility for themselves. And I, I started a, a business that was basically training students to become better chess players. And also we did quite a bit of curriculum work, which means I, we'd uh, teach the whole of grade three, grade four, how to play chess or how to improve. And that was mainly based on the Gold Coast or also Brisbane. And that was something that I did basically since leaving university through to about probably 2002, 2003. Amazing. What I'm curious is that is that part of the curriculum nowadays in our school system or is it just something that would be an extra curriculum or extra co-curricular activity that people... Um... Depends on the school and quite quite a few of the private schools, the ones that, that um, I guess have money for, for things like that, they, they do include it as part of the curriculum and but, but mostly it's it's a co-curricular or extra activity similar to tennis or karate or or dance music similar coming up after the break we'll delve into andrew allen's journey and how he got started in property i was doing a lot of reading of, of property forums and this was in the in the in, in the nineteen nineties when the when the internet first first started appearing and, and becoming significant. Learn about the apartment he bought in Brisbane that revealed his discomfort towards debt. So that that was my first experience of actually getting a mortgage and getting a loan, and that was very uncomfortable. How the potential for flooding in Brisbane impacts the process of investing in the property market there? It impacts development in terms of you'll have to be raised a certain amount of the ground or, or developments cost more. And that's next. I'm Tyron Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Alan's growing interest in property was spurred on by books and the advent of the internet and was also influenced by his parents, all of which led him to purchasing a property. I've always been interested in property investing and have owned property for a long time and been a property investor also for a very long time. And I was doing a lot of reading of property forums and this was in the, in the, in, in the 1990s when the, when the internet first, first started appearing and, and becoming significant. Before then, I'd been, been reading property books and I'd had good experience just basically with, uh, with property. I'd seen what, what had happened with uh, properties my parents had owned for a long time. And being a grazier, you have, well, you have a, have a love of land, of course. And it had always been an interest that basically didn't become more of a serious interest until, like, until probably the early two, two, 2000s. Can you just share with us, how did you get into like your first property and do you think you had any influence from your parents or were you just because of the books and the reading that you did you were influenced into property like that i was definitely definitely influenced by my 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 parents and it'd be pretty normal for a country person to own own a property in in toowoomba or, or the gold coast and it'd usually be like a holiday holiday home and i've basically seen how, how those properties have performed over the long term and I'm, I'm old enough to remember holidays to the Gold Coast when there was one high rise so that's uh yes that's 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 changed significantly but it really probably isn't that long ago and we we basically do a lot of a lot of buy and hold 
investing that that's our main niche that we 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 help with the the buyers agency and that that's what served me well and i've had a lot of lucky timing with with the buy and hold um to give you one, one example on when i was living on the gold coast i i was renting in 2000 and 2003 and, and ended up moving out of the rental because it was being sold to be renovated and ended up buying an apartment on on the gold coast and that that apartment I bought in uh, 2003 for 89,100 and the interesting thing about that's you could actually buy property for that, that that much back then the interesting thing about that property was it had not moved in in about 10 or 11 years and uh, the pre- previous buyer almost definitely gone through a two-tiered marketing scheme and overpaid for the property but they basically paid 92 I think thousand back in um, the, the ni- late 1980s and I bought it for 89,100 in, in 2003 and this was just before the this is my first property on the Gold Coast this was just before the property boom swept through Australia and uh, for those of you who are old enough to remember the 2003 property boom that was that was a serious property boom and it was supposed to be a once in a generation boom but but Sydney's done quite well for itself recently as well and that that property I ended up selling in 2005 for I believe it was $240,000 yeah so that 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 just caught that that uh, that boom perfectly this was not his first property He's owned other properties and as a result have come to the conclusion that the amount of capital growth per year needed for a purchase to generate a good profit. I've owned property in Brisbane for, for longer and having researched some of the property I, I own in Brisbane, I've pretty much come to the conclusion that, that you sort of can use a figure like 5% per year capital growth as, as a reasonable assumption because um, an apartment I've owned in, in Brisbane since the 1980s has Really had years where not not much happens and uh, goes sideways, but then then you get then you get years such as 2003 that um, you can see property just double very quickly in a, in a year or two. An apartment that he bought in Brisbane was his first property purchase and reveals Alan's discomfort towards debt. I was fortunate enough to inherit a half share of an apartment and. That apartment was brand new at the time, and I, I ended up buying that half share off 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 one of my siblings, and and that was that was 1997, I, I think. So that that was my first experience of actually getting a mortgage and uh, and getting a loan, and that was very uncomfortable. I remember at the time, and I've always had a very conservative attitude towards debt, and have have very low. Very low, I guess, I guess tolerance for 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 debt. So I've always had very low LVRs and larger cash buffers as my investing approach, which has been just my sleep at night factor. But um, that that was my first experience, and and the the apartment at, at that time was worth one hundred and hundred thirty five thousand, and and now is worth four hundred and and forty, and that's. So what's that? That's a twenty-year time frame, approximately. With Brisbane and and this this apartment's three k from the CBD. With Brisbane, one of the the key factors is is that we're definitely different to Sydney and Melbourne, in in terms of we don't have the density of population that, that Sydney or Melbourne do. So when you're buying, we're we're basically a house market, and 
when you're buying a strata property, which includes townhouses and apartments, you really need to be in a location where basically you're closer to the CBD. You don't have issues with with future supply, or you're not in a in a suburb that's that that's mainly mainly housing with, with no apartments. So basically, you want to be five kilometres approximately or closer when you're talking apartments with with Brisbane. Alan first talks a little bit more about his first property and then gives us an example of a house that he bought and the buy and hold strategy he used to increase its value. Brand new in 1985, but basically just cosmetic renovations. And, and what's, what, what's worked well for me has been just, just holding quality longer term and buying good locations, high, high land value, and you can get good land value with apartments also. But buying, buying good, good quality houses that, that can do a cosmetic renovation and I'll, I'll mention just one, one example of that is this 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 house. I'm in a house at the moment, which which we use for our rental guardians property management. We run the business from the, this this house, and I, I purchased this house in 2007 for 260,000, and did did a full cosmetic reno. Not a large house, so that that was about about twenty thousand dollars. Organising that myself. And that, that put the cost base to about 280 for the property. And there's been pretty much not, not a lot done to it since then. Always always rented well when it was for rent. And now the property would be worth approximately 480. So not, uh, not, not incredible capital growth, but very solid. And that's the sort of underpinning of um, the buy and hold strategy. It's just a well-located well residential property in in cities such as Sydney, Melbourne, and Brisbane, uh, especially the, the capital cities I'm talking about here, it's just been a winning strategy for well since Federation for for centuries, and it's a great underpinning of, of an investment strategy. You can combine. Um, look, I'm, I'm definitely not against selling. I, I don't believe anybody who says buy and hold everything. I, I just don't think they bought enough properties. And strategic selling is fantastic, and you can combine property development renovations as as cash flow generators to like a, a core strategy of buy and hold. I think that works really well. He delves into a property problem that is prevalent in Brisbane, flooding, and talks about the effect of floods that it has on his property. With property investing, if you're avoiding the, the obvious mistakes, then that's a lot of the heavy lifting because it really isn't that, that complicated in the end. And avoiding the obvious mistakes will, will get you a, lo- a long way towards buying a good quality property and some of those mistakes are just issues with the location or, or the house and in Brisbane specifically there's issues with water and we're talking flood here and one moment that come to, came to mind when, when, when I'm thinking of this question is um, the 2011 floods and nowadays everyone's aware of, of what can happen with, with Brisbane and flooding and, and water but I can tell you that before 2011, that wasn't really the case. Almost nobody was paying attention to that. And, and that's something that I've always watched out for, but even myself, I probably wasn't waiting how, how chronic that issue was. And I remember the 2011 floods in the Brisbane market basically had a heart attack at that point. And the, the phone literally didn't ring for, for two months. It was just, just uh, nothing happened as uh, Brisbane was underwater and Brisbane, by geography, is a is a gigantic floodplain. So 
basically every every suburb will tend to have pockets that flood some suburbs significant parts of it flood and it's not just a, the the water that's that's um coming from a creek or a, a water source it's also overland flow which is our, our tropical summer storms flowing down and that's something that, that we're very very careful to factor in for every property we checklist and to some extent people have sort of forgotten a little bit about about the the flood issues but that would be one of the significant negative moments where where nothing happened for for the own property for for two months after the 2011 floods due to these floods many properties in brisbane are built on stilts which alan elaborates impacts developments he also tells us about the effect flooding has on insurance it impacts development in terms of you'll have to be raised a certain amount off the ground or, or developments cost more also costs are felt in insurance. You might not be able to get insurance or just not at a reasonable price. And it's a chronic issue, Tyrone. So that, that issue never goes away. And people tend to forget about it. So it's um, an issue where you can probably, you still buy buy those properties and sell them, that, that's fine. But I just think you need to be very careful with any, and we, we basically now have a very strong policy that, that um, it's just not worth it usually, and you want you want to you, you'd go a long way to find an exception to that rule to find uh, a property being worth it. And and one exception to that rule is is riverfront property because riverfront property has is limited by by nature in Brisbane and it's 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 prestige, so you can assume a certain risk and it might just be a certain part of the block that floods, not 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 the dwelling. Or you can have the dwelling high enough that, that the risk is acceptable. You're not forced to buy any property. You can be very choosy. That's your big advantage as a buy and hold investor. You can be very choosy about what you what you offer on. And we're looking for flood free, uh, good good block of land, good good slope, good shape to the block of land, good street frontage, and high quality land. So, inspired by Andrew Allen's journey and his amazing investments, we'll keep the conversation going in a future episode of Property Investory. We'll discuss Andrew Allen's property strategy. And that's what's helping people leverage into more property and build a portfolio is, is that capital growth. Why he started his property journey. Flexibility is being able to manage, invest your time how you wish is a great side effect of having shares and residential property and commercial property. What he's looking forward to in the next five years in the property world? I think that um, there's going to be a continued trend of cities getting larger and mega cities developing. And that's next time in a future episode of Property Investory.